1: Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have James Corpondo back on the show with me today. We're talking about his brand new book, 20. And uh, when you're hearing this, it's been out for a couple of days. Uh, I've had a chance to read the book. It is fantastic and a complete mind bender in in all of the best ways. Um, Welcome back to the show, James.
2: So glad to be here. Thank you.
1: Uh, James, what was it that got you interested in thrillers? Um, do, do you remember maybe the first one that you read um, that just you know took you on a journey and made you want to tell stories like the kinds of stories that you tell?
2: Well, I, it, listeners may be sort of surprised to, to hear this answer, but uh, the first book that I read that I would characterize as a thriller is actually a uh, mutiny on the bounty. Um, and I, 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 uh, I can remember reading it at some, maybe middle school um, and I'd always loved to read, but I was so captivated by that book, by the adventure in it. But I was also very captivated by how tense and real the, um, Uh, the court martial scenes were at the end of the book. A lot of people may not remember that uh, from, you know, from however many years ago they read that book, but um, much of the latter part of the book takes place um, in the English courts system uh, when captain Bly makes good on his promise to see them all hang from the highest gallows. Um, And those were such compelling, riveting scenes to me. Um uh, that I it it did sort of hook me not only I would call it sort of on my first thriller, but in some ways I think of it as my first legal thriller um that I fell in love with. Uh and it it stuck with me. And it didn't, you know, it, it didn't really stick hit me as a as a genre until some years later um, in the eighties sort of two books came out that I would say really cemented my love affair with courtroom dramas and and legal thrillers. And that would be Scott Turow's presumed innocent and a book that became a very bad movie called bonfire of the vanities by Tom. (laughs) Yes. So, so, and, and then, you know, as luck would have it, um, right about the time those books came out, then along came this guy named John Grisham, who no one had ever heard of. Uh, but his books just caught fire. And there seemed to be this public appetite for all things legal and thrilling. And I don't even think up until that point in time, anybody had even coined the phrase legal thriller. Um, but of course they are now, um, part of the, uh, of the, the commercial mainstream.
1: Well, you, you mentioned Scott Turow, um, you mentioned John Grisham and you, uh, all three of you guys really, um, kind of launched into the market around the same time, um, not at the same time, but around, uh, you're all kind of part of this zeitgeist, if you will, of, of, of that became legal thrillers, like you mentioned, um, you know, I've heard, um, I've heard John Grisham talk about, um, you know, the realities of the law profession and how it's not all legal thrillers, uh, you know, air quotes here, um, that, and, and I have an aunt and an uncle who are both attorneys and, you know, they they laugh about the, what we read about the legal profession and the realities of it. Um, what are some of the challenges of taking a profession that has a lot of downtime? That's, you know, it's not storming into courtrooms every day and, you know, fighting for truth and justice and, and all this, but what are some of the challenges of taking any profession really and making it, um, you know thriller worthy, what are some of the challenges that of taking the legal profession and and making thrillers out of them?
2: I, I, I think the best way to answer to that to answer that question is really um, this way. So I'm a trial lawyer, um, and I can tell you that if you're involved in the trial, um, it's thrilling. Um, you know it really <laughs> is, and especially. Um, for clients um, who have something at stake, whether I've done criminal case, that's not my bread and butter. But even if it's just money at stake in a commercial um, litigation, um, it'll get your adrenaline pumping. And um, clients, you know, lie awake at night, you know, staring at the ceiling over being deposed and or having to testify in court or having the anxiety of being cross examined by opposing counsel um and so no matter how jaded we get as lawyers and think um that this is mundane or no matter how much, how jaded we get as viewers watching tv show after tv show where it's you know it's it's um, it seems like the same old thing i can tell you when you walk into that courtroom and are uh faced with the the process um uh, it it is anything but mundane so i think i think the, the it's it, my point is that I, I think it is inherently thrilling and that is why i, I it's important uh, as a as a writer to make the reader feel um feel like they're in it uh, that's really the only way to overcome what you've just described is sort of the you know the 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 mundane the everyday common occurrence the downtime and so forth um there uh there there, there is a, a, an inherent drama in the legal process because it forces um especially in a courtroom setting because um, there's a winner and there's a loser, right? And right. and the fact that justice doesn't always win, I think, is dramatic uh, because you really don't. It's a human process, built uh, prone to error, um, and the consequences of that error are um, sometimes life and death, right?
1: Um, James, earlier this year when we talked, we we talked about your protagonist, uh, Jack Switek and and how this was his twenty fifth anniversary, um uh, recently when when you first started writing um Jack, did you have any idea that he would have the sort of legs um that this character has had?
2: Exactly the opposite, right? I mean, i had I thought I had. Um, When he made his debut, it was September 1994 when the first Jack Switek novel came out. It was called The Pardon, um, which uh, wasn't even my title. You know, it's when you write your first novel, everybody wants to change everything about your book, (laughs) including the title. So so it came out as The Pardon, which ended up being a pretty great title because it really was a father-son story and about forgiveness. And that's why I thought I had wrapped it up very well. At the end of the book because i not only had resolved the plot in the story which resolved around um uh, jack um, a, a young and ideological criminal defense lawyer who defended death row inmates and his father who was the governor of florida and may have executed an innocent man who happened to be one of jack's clients so there was a great tension in the courtroom there but there was also Underlying that, this great father-son tension, they uh, obviously ideologically very different. Um, And I thought I had wrapped that up um, really well in the context of the book. Uh, You know, I put the pardon behind me, and I ended up writing, so I think, six, five or six novels um, after the pardon that had nothing to do with Jack Switek. But then, um, you know, if you go back in time, and I'm really dating myself here, but you know, uh, this this you know, this thing called email got really popular, right? So I was hearing, you know, it was nice to get the old letters from from readers, but you didn't get the volume of handwritten letters that sure. you got in the volume of emails. And surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, but people would read the pardon and discover Jack was you know, 27 years old or something like that in, in the pardon. Um, and they wanted to know more about him. And I kept getting these emails and I talked about it with my editor, um, who ended up, uh, Carolyn and I did 20, uh, took 24 books together, I think. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. So that, and that that was a milestone that ended, you know, Jack's 25th anniversary was a milestone, but that was also the end of, Carolyn and my uh um editorial relationship, she moved on. But but it was really in that discussion around 2000 that she and I thought, well, let's bring him back, you know, and there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of life here, right? You know, Jack is 27 was 27 years old in the pardon, you know, he's there's now six, seven, eight years. Let's let's see he see where he is. And so um we wrote um a book called beyond suspicion that came out in 2002 and it was great fun for both Carolyn and me to, to, you know, go back to Jack Switek. And fortunately it was also um, well-received and the book did very, very well. And, and so we decided Jack was back and I ended up doing, I think three or four Switek novels um, in a row. Um, and you know, the rest is history, as they say, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm heart There are a, a few, um, uh, protagonists and legal thrillers who've been around longer than, than Jack, but I'm proud to say that he's, he's, you know, 25 plus years is quite a nice run. Well, he's,
1: he's become a mainstay in the genre. That's for sure. Um, and with a character that uh, has as much presence as he does and, and um, has uh, it. Well, let me ask it this way. Um, when you're writing a, a character, a long running character, like, uh, Jack Switek, the quote unquote world building, um, has to be easier. Um, because when you, when you come into a new scenario, uh, all the players are in place. All the, the setting is there and you get to, kind of jump into the story and that would be i would think um one of the easier parts of having an established character with um established backstory and all of that good stuff but what are some of the challenges of writing uh, a long time character like switek um we know the world building quote unquote um you know that we we think of that in science fiction and fantasy mostly but it it holds out for every genre there there's established backstory, but what are some of the challenges of having a character that you're familiar with?
2: That's a really good question, you know, because it is scary when you, there's two things uh, I would point to right off the top of my head. And one of those uh, is what made me nervous when um, Carolyn uh, 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 decided that um, to retire. Uh, so she uh, she really was sort of my check. She knew Jack's backstory as well, if not better than I did, right? So I had this, this um, backstop of Carolyn's institutional knowledge about Jack's Switek so that, uh, you know, if, if I had Jack do something or uh, that was... Um, <laughs> that's, about that. that's okay. Um, so, so so well so so Carolyn um was my backstop she really did have that institutional knowledge to tell me you you can't have jack um do this because that's inconsistent with what happened um in this other novel um or so forth so so she was great in that regard um the other thing that um is tricky is repeating yourself right you can't you can't keep telling the same stories about your character um, uh, over and over again because people who've read the series um they know it and uh you know they're they're going to get bored with it. Um so um and one tip I give to in writing um seminars and so forth, if there's any aspiring writers um out there and I found this works really well um, is that you actually can recover old ground, but it's more interesting if you put it from somebody else's point of view. And I, when I say that, I mean, I, I write in the third person, so that makes it easier, right? Sure. Um, so, um Jack's best friend, Theo, is sort of this, you know, comic uh, relief sidekick. He was, you know, Jack's uh, only client. Jack defended on death row who was actually innocent, but he lives his life the way you would expect someone who um, spent four years on death row um, for a crime he didn't commit. You'd, he, he acts the way you'd expect him to. He lives for the moment. Right. So he often has a different memory of these events in Jack's life than Jack does. Jack's abuela, you know, Jack is half Hispanic. So he has his Cuban grandmother who is a very popular character. Well, she often has a different memory of exactly how this this event or period in Jack's life went down. Um, and, and so that having fun with. Those that backstory that is critical to Jack's character, but um, it becomes boring if for readers who've read every book in the series, it actually now becomes um, a plus because it's kind of funny to see how Jack remembered things and how different uh, someone else who's close in his life, their me- memory of those events um, might be. Um, and, and so that challenge, I've sort of, I feel like I've turned into a positive, um, and um, readers seem to enjoy that. Uh, but you're right, that is a challenge, uh, you know, with, uh, with a serial character. How do you keep it fresh? I think that's uh, really the, the, the question that you ask and the question that I ask myself every time I decide the next novel is going to be a Jack Switek novel.
1: One of the challenges uh, and and this touches on um, that discussion and the discussion earlier about how do you um, y- y- make um, a, a profession that that sometimes can be very mundane uh, in into exciting um is that um that Jack Switek does have a a personal life. um there, there's more to him than when he's in. Uh, the courtroom. And you, you really bring out a lot of that drama in the new book 20. Um, because this, uh, the scenario that kind of kicks off the book affects, uh, Jack ultimately professionally, but hits home personally, um, as well. Um, how did you come up with the, with the idea for this book? And, and, uh, you know, you've never shied away from tackling topics that, Uh, Are are timely and uh, maybe something that we're all uh, thinking about on on one level or another. And uh, the 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 topic of twenty is is no doubt any less um, uh, controversial or or maybe not even controversial, but but hits us close to home. Um, Talk a little bit about you know finding those topics and how uh, the way Switek you know affecting him personally. As opposed to also affecting him professionally,
2: yeah. so so you know Jack is now, um, you know, it's it's twenty plus years into the series. Um, Jack's married now. Um, he's married to uh, an FBI agent, um Andy Henning. They have a daughter uh, who's kindergarten age. So i am um, you know, obviously, the things that are important to Jack now in his life, he's he he no longer, Really, does death penalty work? He has a, hes a sole practitioner. So the things that are important to him now are very different to the from the things that were important to him in the pardon when he was just this, um, you know, sort of um, rebellious uh, ideological lawyer defending death row inmates um, in his twenties. Um, so that was first step. You know, it's like decide well what's important to Jack, and and it's really. Um, is a great relationship with his, with his daughter. And she's becoming any, anybody who has a kindergartner will attest to that. I mean, it's just such a precious age and there's such an innocence, um, about the kids, but also just such a curiosity. And sometimes a mischievous mischievousness that, 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 um, just makes them the total package that they are. So I, so I wanted it to be, um, a book about, um, if not about that relationship, at least about something that was very, very important to that relationship. And so I started going through the, you know, well, where are we going to start with this? And of course, you know, with any, any thriller writer will tell you is that when you're noodling around for a new idea, you kind of play the so-called, you know, what if, sure game, you know, right. You know, yeah. what if, what if this happened or what if that happened? And, um, And because I live in South Florida, um, one of the the biggest what ifs that parents don't really talk a lot about, but are especially worried about, um, um, are are, um, uh, keeping our kids safe at school. Right. So um, um, when I was 19 years old, my my parents moved to Coral Springs, Florida. Um my mother who's 93 still lives in Coral Springs, Florida. Well, um uh, Coral Springs police were the first to respond to the Parkland um shooting at uh, Marjorie Stoneman uh, uh, Douglas um High School um in which 17 high school students were killed on Valentine's Day uh in 2018. Um and um so Yeah, that that hit close to home to think that's that's because Coral Springs was such a sleepy bedroom community and people moved there to uh, raise their families and to raise them safely and send them to good schools. And this event happened. So um, it took me a while, though, to to decide I was going to write a book uh, centered on that because I know it's a heavy topic um and uh and then as usual when deciding uh on what to uh, write about um it's it's never just now we shouldn't say never but rarely is it sort of one thing that steers you in the direction of your next novel there's there are other things and it occurred to me that okay 20 is going to come out and um yeah, this was, you know, six eight months ago uh, when it, before I really started writing, and and uh, I realized, well, this is going to be 2021 when this book comes out, um, and um, I was uh, aware of the fact that this would be the 20th anniversary of the attacks on um, uh, that occurred on September 11, uh, 2001. And then, of course, things are often running from there. You have I have this sort of this uh, you know, confluence of school shootings, safety at schools, 20th anniversary. And of course, like and I don't mean this to be, you know, glib or at all, but it seems like there is always a Florida connection to um, uh, the world's biggest events slash tragedies, you know, slash slash newsworthy events, you know, and, um, people may have forgotten, but you know, the, the 9-11 hijackers all got their training, um, right. in South Florida, you know, so there was, so there was a Florida connection there. And so, so that's really where things started to gel for me is that, okay, there's, the, the, there's these two, um, main, um, components that i have to deal with and um and i do outline the story quite a lot so and this outline took quite a long time to get um to uh, to understand how these two um, major issues events were going to um, collide Um, and they do collide in 20
1: and uh, in, in Jack Switek fashion, uh, it plays out in the courtroom. Um, and there's uh, th- there's in- some interesting twists that happen uh, in this book. And like I've come to expect, uh, when, when you read the synopsis and you think, oh, I know how this story is going to go, it absolutely does not go how you think it's going to go. Um, y- you talked about working on the outline for quite a while. Um, when when you're looking for those twists and points of misdirection or uh, maybe misdirection is not not the right word, but um, the ways to take the reader down a path that they're not expecting. Um, at, at, can you talk a little bit about your process of of discovering uh, those things that that you're going to um, uh, pull the rug out from under the reader, so to speak?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah. You know, and a lot of it has to do with research. Right. And I I, I do all my own research and I enjoy the research part of it. Um, And um, uh, often. So that's the starting point. Right. Is that is that um, I do have a back. You know, I. uh, My first job out of law school, I worked for a federal court of appeals judge in, in Atlanta. Which covered Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. And um, at the time I had that job, um, Florida and Georgia were executing more death row inmates than any um uh any other states in the Union, including Texas. Um, so so I did have that backdrop and experience and in, in in you know, last minute appeals, which we seem to be getting on a weekly basis um when I worked for the court. Um and uh, and I can always remember sort of going home at night and thinking, well, I'm glad it's the judge's decision and not my decision on this, because you would get this, you know, boxes and buzzes before, you know, everything was electronic. You know, you would physically get boxes and boxes of materials at seven o'clock at night and the execution was scheduled for seven o'clock in the morning. And, you know, you're supposed to make a decision on whether the execution should be stayed or not. And we would work furiously through the night. And, Leave it to the judge to decide. Um, so I, I, you know, I I, I had some background um, in death penalty work um, that informed, you know, Jack's take on this. But um, I also knew, you know, I'm also the father of of three children, you know, and so um, I knew uh, that uh, readers were not going to be sympathetic to the idea of defending a um, uh, and an accused school shooter. Um, so, so that was, you know, sort of the biggest challenge I had in writing the book is figuring out, okay, how am I going to make, what twist is there going to be in this book, you know, to, to make that acceptable. And I'm not really giving any, I'm definitely not giving any way about this because it really was interesting to me because the first sort of twist in the book, is rooted in actual fact and that is that one of the fathers of a victim of the parkland shooting um, uh, wrote an op-ed for the local paper um, in which he encouraged the um, prosecution to um, uh, cut a deal with the shooter, um, because he did not want, and that wasn't because he was against the death penalty. He wasn't against the death penalty, but from his own personal standpoint, um, he wanted it to be over and he wanted, he wanted 17 years, 17, um, consecutive sentences of life in prison without parole. Uh, over and done with, rather than ten years of appeals uh, and process uh, going up and down from the courts as to whether the shooter should be um, executed or not. Um, and so I woke, I I worked that into the story, uh, um, and that, you know that's a, I I tell that that background because that's that's an instance of research in real life informing the twist as part of the process um and uh, and that works you know it it really does because jack does not want to take this case and in fact jack is dead set against taking this case but it is um a father of a victim who talks him in to taking it um, for that reason it needs to end the community needs to heal um And so Jack um, sets out on this mission not to set a school shooter free to walk on the street, but to spend the rest of his life in jail um, for the crime he committed rather than reopening the wound every eighteen months or two years every time the appeal from the death sentence comes up. so um, the other um the other way I think you really develop the twists are, simply, um, what are the possibilities? Right. And I always do that. I have my list. Oftentimes the greatest red herrings in the book, um, are, um, original endings (laughs) to the book, right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's, that's where, okay. That's, that's where I had thought the book was going. Uh, but it turns out that that isn't where the book was going. So it becomes just this really fun um twist for the reader um and that has that happens more and more now than it did very, very early on in my career because um, uh, I used to outline all the way as a matter of process. I would outline all the way to the to the epilogue, right um it, you know now, and for the past fifteen years at least i would say that i outline to the point of conflict in the story where um you know good meets evil and um and then i let the conflict be resolved in the writing and you know so and and What I mean by that is basically if you've done your job as a writer, um, by the time, you know, good clashes with evil and you have the big conflict in the story and the confrontation. um, you know, all the elements are there for a satisfying resolution and conclusion. Um, uh, And if it's not there, then, you know there's something wrong with the foundation, not, not, you know, not the ending. Uh, so, and I started to find that, you know, when I got to that point of conflict in the story, if I started to write to a specific ending, it felt contrived. Um, so now I outlined to the point of conflict in the, and let it work itself out in the writing. And, um, sometimes it's fun. I surprise myself.
1: Well, James. Speaking of uh, art imitating life, um, you know, twenty twenty has has been full of crazy surprises this year. Um, do you think we're going to have a glut of thrillers next year? Um, you know, about COVID or some sort of global pandemic. Okay, I I
2: hope not. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> but I hate to say that because you know probably. It could very well be that one of my very close friends is actually writing one, but you know and God bless them if they can make it fresh and entertaining as and right. exciting um, i i don't I would not want to go there um and and um it, you know it's it's sometimes um you know just because something happens in the news doesn't necessarily mean that it makes a great novel and um, and, uh, and honestly, I, I found that I, I think, you know, um, with the big lie, which was a political thriller. And I, I wrote that book kicking and screaming to the editor saying, you know what? I think, I think, you know, there's, there's people who are getting enough politics and they're like, oh no, no, we've got to, we've got to go there. And I would say that, you know, some people, um, agreed with my publisher and thought, oh, what, a what a, what a terrific. But others, and I totally understand this viewpoint. Is felt like mm, you know I really read to escape, you know, and I, I and I don't really want to uh, you know uh, be watching the news about an election and also be um, uh, reading a novel about, about the election. So it, you know, I, there's two sides to it. I understand, but and I I, I think people will going to feel the same way, uh, or maybe even more more. So, uh about the pandemic. I'm not sure who's going to want to read about the 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 pandemic. I mean, for example, you know, um right now I don't see people rushing out to bookstores to buy books about the 1918 flu, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh gee, can't get enough of that, you know, that pandemic stuff. Right. You know, I'm living it. You know, so, right. Uh,
1: Maybe there will be a time where it's not so close to the bone, and and we can explore, uh, you know, all the ins and outs of it. But, but hopefully, it's not next year. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. Well, the new book is called Twenty, uh, a fantastic Jack Switek novel. Um, if you want to be entertained and on the edge of your seat um tackling uh issues that are current yet not um uh, and still allow us to escape what's going on today 20 is the book for you um we're going to put links to it in the show notes where you can get it in kindle edition or audiobook or hardcover however you like to purchase books um james where can people find you if they want to dig into all the great stuff that you're doing
2: so I'm on Facebook, and I love hearing from readers on on, on my Facebook account. Um, and also, they can just uh, email me through my website, james at Excellent. We'll
1: put links to all those in the show notes to make it easy for people to find you. Uh, james, always a pleasure to to catch up and to chat books, and uh, we're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of 20. Thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. It's
2: been my pleasure. Thanks very much both
0: barrels publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author james p sumner he has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community knowing the struggles of the modern day indie author as well as he does he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level To learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden costs, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com